0: Chapter 7 of Pele the Conqueror, Volume 1 by Martin Anderson Nexo, translated by Jesse Muir. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Christmas Eve was a great disappointment. It was the custom for the herd boys to come out and spend Christmas at the farms where they served in the summer, and Pele's companions had told him of all the delights of Christmas roast meat and sweet drinks. Christmas games and ginger nuts and cakes. It was one endless eating and drinking and playing of Christmas games from the evening before Christmas Eve until St. Canute carried Christmas out on January 7th. That was what it was like on all the small farms. The only difference being that those who were religious did not play cards but sang hymns instead. But what they had to eat was just as good. The last few days before Christmas, Pelle had to get up at two, or half-past two, to help the girls pluck poultry, and the old Thatcher home to heat the oven. With this, his connection with the delights of Christmas came to an end. There was dried cod and boiled rice on Christmas Eve, and it tasted good enough, but of all the rest there was nothing. There were a couple of bottles of brandy on the table for the men, that was all. The men were discontented and quarrelsome. They poured milk and boiled rice into the leg of the stocking that Karna was knitting, so that she was fuming the whole evening, and then sat each with his girl on his knee and made ill-natured remarks about everything. The old farm laborers and their wives, who had been invited to partake of the Christmas fair, talked about death and all the ills of the world. Upstairs there was a large party. All the wife's relations were invited, and they were hard at work on the roast goose. The yard was full of conveyances, and the only one of the farm servants who was in good spirits was the head man who received all the tips. Gustav was in a thoroughly bad humor, for Bodil was upstairs helping to wait. He had brought his concertina over and was playing love songs. It was putting them into better spirits, and the evil expression was leaving their eyes. One after another they started singing, and it began to be quite comfortable down there. But then a message came to say that they must make less noise, so the assembly broke up, the old people going home, and the young ones dispersing in couples, according to the friendships of the moment. Lasa and Pele went to bed. What's Christmas really for? asked Pele. Lasso rubbed his thigh reflectively. ''It has to be,'' he answered hesitatingly. ''Yes, and then it's the time when your year turns round and goes upward, you see. And of course it's the night when the child Jesus was born, too. It took him a long time to produce this last reason. But when it did come it was with perfect assurance, taking one thing with another, you see he added after a short pause on the day after christmas day there was a kind of subscription merry-making at an enterprising crofters down in the village it was to cost two and a half kronas a couple for music sandwiches and spirits in the middle of the night and coffee toward morning gustav and bodil were going pelle at any rate saw a little of christmas as it passed and was as interested in it as if it concerned himself and he gave Lasse no rest from his questions that day. So Bodil was still faithful to Gustav after all. When they got up the next morning, they found Gustav lying on the ground by the cow-stable door, quite helpless, and his good clothes in a sad state. Bodil was not with him. Then she's deceived him, said Lasse, as they helped him in. Poor boy, only seventeen and a wounded heart already. The women'll be his ruin one of these days, you'll see." At midday, when the farm laborers' wives came to do the milking, Lasse's supposition was confirmed. Bodil had attached herself to a tailor's apprentice from the village, and had left with him in the middle of the night. They laughed pityingly at Gustav, and for some time after he had to put up with their jibes at his ill success. But there was only one opinion about Bodil. She was at liberty to come and go with whomsoever she liked, but as long as Gustav was paying for her amusements she ought to have kept to him. Who but the neighbor would keep the hens that ate their grain at home, and laid their eggs at the neighbor's? There had as yet been no opportunity to visit Loss's brother beyond the stone quarry, but it was to be done on the second day of the new year. Between Christmas and the new year the men did nothing after dark and it was the custom everywhere to help the herdsman with his evening occupations there was nothing of that here lasse was too old to assert himself and pelle too little they might think themselves lucky that they did not have to do the foddering for the men who went out as well as their own but today it was to come off gustav and long ole had undertaken to do the evening work pelle began to look forward to it as soon as he was up He was up every day by half-past three. But as Lasse used to say, if you sing before breakfast, you'll weep before night. After dinner Gustav and Ole were standing grinding chopping-knives down in the lower yard. The trough leaked, and Pelle had to pour water on the grindstone out of an old kettle. His happiness could be seen on his face. "'What are you so pleased about?' asked Gustav your eyes are shining like the cat's in the dark pelle told him i'm afraid you won't get away said ole winking at gustav we shan't get the chaff cut time enough to do the foddering this grindstone's so confoundedly hard to turn too if only that handle turner hadn't been broken pelle pricked up his ears handle turner what's that he asked gustav sprang round the grindstone and slapped his thigh, in enjoyment of the joke. "'My goodness how stupid you are! Don't you even know what a handle-turner is? It's a thing you only need to put on to the grindstone, and it turns by itself.' "'They've got one, by the way, over at Casa Farm,' he said, turning to Ole. "'If only it wasn't so far away!' "'Is it heavy?' asked Pelle in a low voice. Everything depended upon the answer. "'Can I lift it?' his voice trembled. "'Oh, no, not so awfully heavy. "'You could carry it quite well, but you'd have to be very careful. "'I can run over and fetch it. "'I'll carry it very carefully.' "'Pelle looked at them with a face that could not but inspire confidence. "'Very well, but take a sack with you to put it in, "'and you'll have to be as careful as the very devil, "'for it's an expensive thing.' Pelle found a sack, and ran off across the fields. He was as delighted as a young kid, plucking at himself and everything as he ran, and jumping aside to frighten the crows. He was overflowing with happiness. He was saving the expedition for himself and Father Lasse. Gustav and Ole were good men. He would get back as quickly as possible, so that they should not have to toil any more at the grindstone. "'What, are you back already?' they would say, and open their eyes. "'Then you must have smashed that precious machine on the way.' And they would take it very carefully out of the sack, and it would be quite safe and sound. "'Well, you are a wonder of a boy, a perfect prince,' they would say. When he got to Casa Farm, they wanted him to go into a Christmas meal while they were putting the machine into the sack, but Pelle said no, and held to it. He had not time. So they gave him a piece of cold apple out on the steps, so that he should not carry Christmas away. They all looked so pleasant, and every one came out when he hoisted the sack on his back and set off home. They too recommended him to be very careful, and seemed anxious, as if he could hardly realize what he was carrying. It was a good mile between the farms, but it was an hour and a half before Pelle reached home, and then he was ready to drop. He dared not put down the sack to rest, but stumbled on, step by step, only resting once by leaning against a stone fence. When at last he staggered into the yard, every one came up to see the neighbor's new handle-turner, and Pelle was conscious of his own importance when Ole carefully lifted the sack from his back. He leaned for a moment over toward the wall before he regained his balance. The ground was so strange to tread upon, now he was rid of his burden, it pushed him away. But his face was radiant. Gustav opened the sack, which was securely closed, and shook out its contents upon the stone pavement. They were pieces of brick, a couple of old plowshares, and other similar things. Pelle stared, in bewilderment and fear, at the rubbish, looking as if he had just dropped from another planet. But when laughter broke out on all sides, he understood what it all meant, and, crouching down, hid his face in his hands. He would not cry, not for the world. They should not have that satisfaction. He was sobbing in his heart, but he kept his lips tightly closed. His body tingled with rage. The beasts! The wicked devils! Suddenly he kicked Gustav on the leg. Aha! So he kicks, does he? exclaimed Gustav, lifting him up into the air. Do you want to see a little imp from Smalland?" Pelle covered his face with his arms, and kicked to be let down, and he also made an attempt to bite. Eh, and he bites, too, the little devil. Gustav had to hold him firmly so as to manage him. He held him by the collar, pressing his knuckles against the boy's throat, and making him gasp, while he spoke with derisive gentleness. A clever youngster, this. He's scarcely out of long clothes and wants to fight already. Gustav went on tormenting him. It looked as if he were making a display of his superior strength. "'Well, now we've seen that you're the strongest,' said the head man at last. "'So let him go.' And when Gustav did not respond immediately, he received a blow from a clenched fist between his shoulder-blades. Then the boy was released, and went over to the stable to Lasse, who had seen the whole thing, but had not dared to approach. He could do nothing, and his presence would only have done harm.' "'Yes, and then there's our outing, laddie,' he explained, by way of excuse, while he was comforting the boy. "'I could very well thrash a puppy like Gustav, but if I did we shouldn't get away this evening, for he wouldn't do our work, and none of the others either, for they all stick together like burrs. "'But you can do it yourself. I verily believe you'd kick the devil himself right on his club foot. Well, well, it was well done.' but you must be careful not to waste your powder and shot. It doesn't pay." The boy was not so easily comforted now. Deep down in his heart the remembrance of his injury lay and pained him, because he had acted in such good faith, and they had wounded him in his ready, cheerful confidence. What had happened had also stung his pride. He had walked into a trap, made a fool of himself for them. The incident burnt into his soul, and greatly influenced his subsequent development. He had already found out that a person's word was not always to be relied upon, and he had made awkward attempts to get behind it. Now he would trust nobody straight away any more. And he had discovered how the secret was to be found out. You only had to look at people's eyes when they said anything, both here and at Casa Farm the people had looked so strange about the handle-turner, as if they were laughing inside. And the bailiff had laughed, that time when he promised them roast pork and stewed rhubarb every day. They hardly ever got anything but herring and porridge. People talked with two tongues. Father Lasse was the only one who did not do it. Pelle began to be observant of his own face. It was the face that spoke and that was why it went badly with him when he tried to escape a thrashing by telling a white lie. And today's misfortune had been the fault of his face. If you felt happy, you mustn't show it. He had discovered the danger of letting his mind lie open, and his small organism set to work diligently, to grow hard skin, to draw over its vital parts. After supper they set off across the fields, hand in hand, as usual. As a rule, Pelle chattered unceasingly when they were by themselves, but this evening he was quieter. The event of the afternoon was still in his mind, and the coming visit gave him a feeling of solemnity. Lasse carried a red bundle in his hand, in which was a bottle of black currant rum, which they had got Per Olsen to buy in the town the day before, when he had been in to swear himself free. It had cost sixty-six oras and Pelle was turning something over in his mind, but did not know whether it would do. "'Father,' he said at last, "'mayn't I carry that a little way?' "'Gracious, are you crazy, boy? It's an expensive article, and you might drop it.' "'I wouldn't drop it. Well, only hold it for a little, then, mayn't I, father? Oh, do, father!' "'Eh, what an idea!' i don't know what you'll be like soon if you aren't stopped upon my word i think you must be ill you're getting so tiresome and lasse went on crossly for a little while but then stopped and bent down over the boy hold it then you little silly but be very careful and you mustn't move a single step while you've got it mind pelle clasped the bottle to his body with his arms for he dared not trust his hands and pushed out his stomach as far as possible to support it. Lasse stood with his hands extended beneath the bottle, ready to catch it if it fell. There, that'll do, he said anxiously, and took the bottle. It is heavy, said Pelle admiringly, and went on contentedly, holding his father's hand. But why had he to swear himself free? he suddenly asked because he was accused by a girl of being the father of her child haven't you heard about it Pelle nodded isn't he then everybody says he is I can hardly believe it it would be certain damnation for Per Olsen but of course the girl says it's him and no one else ah me girls are dangerous playthings you must take care when your time comes for they can bring misfortune upon the best of men How do you swear, then? Do you say, ''Devil take me?'' Lassa could not help laughing. ''No, indeed. That wouldn't be very good for those that swear false. No, you see, in the court all God's highest ministers are sitting round a table that's exactly like a horseshoe, and beyond that again there's an altar with the crucified Christ himself upon it. On the altar lies a big, big book that's fastened to the wall with an iron chain so that the devil can't carry it off in the night—and that's God's holy word. When a man swears, he lays his left hand upon the book, and holds up his right hand with three fingers in the air—they're God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But if he swears false, the governor can see it at once, because then there are red spots of blood on the leaves of the book. And what then? asked Pele, with deep interest. Well, then his three fingers wither, and it goes on eating itself into his body. People like that suffer frightfully. They rot right away. Don't they go to hell, then? Yes, they do that, too, except when they give themselves up and take their punishment, and then they escape in the next life. But they can't escape withering away. Why doesn't the governor take them himself and punish them, when he can see in that book that they swore false? Why, because then they'd get off going to hell, and there's an agreement with Satan that he's to have all those who don't give themselves up, don't you see?" Pelle shuddered, and for a little while walked on in silence beside his father. But when he next spoke he had forgotten all about it. I suppose Uncle Kala's rich, isn't he? he asked. He can't be rich, but he's a landowner, and that's not a little thing. Lasse himself had never attained to more than renting land. "'When I grow up, I mean to have a great big farm,' said Pelle, with decision. "'Yes, I've no doubt you will,' said Lasse, laughing. Not that he also did not expect something great of the boy, if not exactly a large farmer. There was no saying, however. Perhaps some farmer's daughter might fall in love with him. The men of his family generally had an attraction for women. Several of them had given proof of it, his brother, for instance, who had taken the fancy of a parson's wife. Then Pelle would have to make the most of his opportunity, so that the family would be ashamed to oppose the match. And Pelle was good enough. He had that cow's lick on his forehead, fine hair at the back of his neck, and a birthmark on his hip, and all that betokened luck. Lasse went on talking to himself as he walked calculating the boy's future with large, round figures that yielded a little for him, too, for, however great his future might be, it would certainly come in time to allow of Lasse's sharing and enjoying it in his very old age. They went across country toward the stone quarry, following stone dykes and snow-filled ditches, and working their way through the thicket of blackthorn and juniper, behind which lay the rocks and the heath. They made their way right into the quarry, and tried in the darkness to find the place where the dross was thrown, for that would be where the stone-breaking went on. A sound of hammering came from the upper end of the ground, and they discovered lights in several places. Beneath a sloping straw-screen, from which hung a lantern, sat a little broad man, hammering away at the fragments. He worked with peculiar vivacity, struck three blows and pushed the stones to one side, another three blows, and again to one side. And while with one hand he pushed the pieces away, with the other he placed a fresh fragment in position on the stone. It went as busily and evenly as the ticking of a watch. "'Why, if it isn't Brother Kalle sitting there,' said Lasse, in a voice of surprise as great as if the meeting were a miracle from heaven. "'Good evening, Kala Carlson. How are you?' The stone-breaker looked up. "'Oh, there you are, brother,' he said, rising with difficulty, and the two greeted one another as if they had met only the day before. Kalle collected his tools and laid the screen down upon them while they talked. "'So you break stones, too. Does that bring in anything?' asked Lasse. Oh, not very much. We get twelve kronas a fathom, and when I work with a lantern morning and evening I can break half a fathom in a week. It doesn't pay for beer, but we live anyhow. And it's awfully cold work, you can't keep warm at it. And you get so stiff with sitting fifteen hours on the cold stone, as stiff as if you were the father of the whole world. He was walking stiffly, in front of the others, across the heath toward a low, hump-backed cottage. "'Ah, there comes the moon. Now there's no use for it,' said Kalle, whose spirits were beginning to rise. "'And, my word, what a sight the old Dormouse looks! He must have been at a New Year's feast in heaven!' "'You're the same merry devil that you were in the old days,' said Lasse. "'Well, good spirits'll soon be the only thing to be had without paying for.' The wall of the brick house stuck out in a large round lump on one side, and Pelle had to go up to it to feel it all over. It was most mysterious what there might be on the other side. Perhaps a secret chamber? He pulled his father's hand inquiringly. That? That's the oven where they bake their bread, said Lasse. It's put there to make more room. After inviting them to enter, Kalle put his head in at a door that led from the kitchen to the cowshed. "'Hi, Maria. You must put your best foot foremost,' he called in a low voice. "'The midwife's here.' What in the world does she want? It's a story, you old fool!" And the sound of milk squirting into the pail began again. "'A story, is it? No, but you must come in and go to bed. She says it's high time you did. You are keeping up much too long this year. Mind what you say, he whispered into the cowshed, for she is really here, and be quick. They went into the room, and Kalle went groping about to light a candle. Twice he took up the matches and dropped them again to light it at the fire, but the peat was burning badly. Oh, bother, he said, resolutely striking a match at last. We don't have visitors every day. Your wife's Danish, said Lasse admiringly. "'And you've got a cow, too.' "'Yes, it's a biggish place here,' said Kala, drawing himself up. "'There's a cat belonging to the establishment, too, and as many rats as it cares to eat.' His wife now appeared, breathless and looking in astonishment at the visitors. "'Yes, the midwife's gone again,' said Kala. "'She hadn't time today. We must put it off till another time. But these are important strangers.' so you must blow your nose with your fingers before you give them your hand. Oh, you old humbug! You can't take me in. It's Lassa, of course, and Pelle. And she held out her hand. She was short, like her husband, was always smiling, and had bowed arms and legs just as he had. Hard work and their cheerful temperament gave them both a rotund appearance. "'There are no end of children here,' said Lassa, looking about him. There were three in the turn-up bedstead under the window, two small ones at one end, and a long twelve-year-old boy at the other, his black feet sticking out between the little girls' heads, and other beds were made up on chairs, in an old kneading trough, and on the floor. "'Yes, we've managed to scrape together a few,' said Kala, running about in vain to get something for his visitors to sit upon. Everything was being used as beds.' "'You'll have to spit on the floor and sit down on that,' he said, laughing. His wife came in, however, with a washing-bench and an empty beer-barrel. "'Sit you down and rest,' she said, placing the seats round the table. "'And you must really excuse it, but the children must be somewhere.' Kalle squeezed himself in and sat down upon the edge of the turn-up bedstead. "'Yes, we've managed to scrape together a few,' he repeated. You must provide for your old age while you have the strength. We've made up the dozen and started on the next. It wasn't exactly our intention, but mother's gone and taken us in. He scratched the back of his head and looked the picture of despair. His wife was standing in the middle of the room. Let's hope it won't be twins this time, too, she said, laughing. Why, that would be a great saving, as we shall have to send for the midwife anyhow. People say of mother, he went on, that when she puts the children to bed she has to count them to make sure they're all there, but that's not true because she can't count farther than ten. Here a baby in the alcove began to cry, and the mother took it up and seated herself on the edge of the turn-up bedstead to nurse it. "'And this is the smallest,' he said, holding it out toward Lasse, who put a crooked finger down its neck. "'What a little fatty,' he said softly. He was fond of children. And what's its name? She's called Dezina Indina, because when she came we thought that was to be the last. And she was the twelfth, too. Dezina Indina, that's a mighty fine name, exclaimed Lasa. It sounds exactly as if she might be a princess. Yes, and the one before's called Ellen, from Eleven, of course. That's her in the kneading-trough, said Kala. The one before that again is Tinchus, and then Nina, and Otto. The ones before that weren't named in that way, for we hadn't thought then that there'd be so many. But that's all Mother's fault. If she only puts a patch on my working trousers things go wrong at once." "'You ought to be ashamed of yourself trying to get out of it like that,' said his wife, shaking her finger at him. But as for that,' she went on, turning to Lasse. I'm sure the others have nothing to complain of, either, as far as their names are concerned. Albert, Anna, Alfred, Albinus, Anton, Alma, and Alvida. Let me see. Yes, that's the lot. None of them can say that they've not been treated fairly. Father was for A at that time. They were all to rhyme with A. Poetry's always come so easy to him. She looked admiringly at her husband. Kala blinked his eyes in bashfulness. "'No, but it's the first letter, you see, and it sounds pretty,' he said modestly. "'Isn't he clever to think of a thing like that? He ought to have been a student. Now my head would never have been any good for anything like that. He wanted, indeed, to have the names both begin and end with A, but that wouldn't do with the boys, so he had to give that up. But then he hasn't had any book-learning either.' "'Oh, that's too bad, mother. I didn't give it up.' I'd made up a name for the first boy that had A at the end, too. But then the clerk and the priest objected, and I had to let it go. They objected to Desina and Dina, too, but I put my foot down. For I can be angry if I'm irritated too long. I've always liked to have some connection and meaning in everything. And it's not a bad idea to have something that those who look deeper can find out. Now, have you noticed anything special about two of these names? No answered lasse hesitatingly i don't know that i have but i haven't got a head for that sort of thing either well look here anna and otto are exactly the same whether you read them forward or backward exactly the same i'll just show you he took down a child's slate that was hanging on the wall with a stump of slate pencil and began laboriously to write the names now look at this brother i can't read said Lasse, shaking his head hopelessly. Does it really give the same both ways? The deuce! That is remarkable! He could not get over his astonishment. But now comes something that's still more remarkable, said Kalle, looking over the top of the slate at his brother, with the gaze of a thinker surveying the universe. Otto, which can be read from both ends, means, of course, eight. But if I draw the figure eight, it can be turned upside down and still be the same. Look here. He wrote the figure eight. Lasse turned the slate up and down and peered at it. Yes, upon my word, it is the same. Just look here, Pelle. It's like the cat that always comes down upon its feet, no matter how you drop it. Lord bless my soul. How nice it must be to be able to spell. How did you learn it, brother? Oh, said Kala in a tone of superiority. I've sat and looked on a little when Mother's been teaching the children their ABC. It's nothing at all if your upper story's all right. Pele'll be going to school soon," said Lasse reflectively. And then perhaps I could, for it would be nice. But I don't suppose I've got the head for it, do you? No, I'm sure I haven't got the head for it," he repeated, in quite a despairing tone. Kala did not seem inclined to contradict him, but Pelle made up his mind that some day he would teach his father to read and write, much better than Uncle Kala could. "'But we're quite forgetting that we brought a Christmas bottle with us,' said Lasse, untying the handkerchief. "'You are a fellow,' exclaimed Kala, walking delightedly round the table on which the bottle stood. "'You couldn't have given us anything better, brother. It'll come in handy for the christening party.' black currant rum, and with a gold border, how grand!" He held the label up toward the light, and looked round with pleasure in his eyes. Then he hesitatingly opened the cupboard in the wall. "'The visitors ought to taste what they brought,' said his wife. "'That's just what was bothering me,' said Kala, looking round with a disconsolate laugh. For they ought, of course. But if the cork's once drawn, you know how it disappears. He reached out slowly for the corkscrew, which hung on a nail. But Lasse would not hear of it. He would not taste the beverage for the world. Was black currant rum a thing for a poor beggar like him to begin drinking, and on a weekday, too? No, indeed. "'Yes, and you'll be coming to the christening party, you too, of course,' said Kalle, relieved, putting the bottle into the cupboard. "'But we'll have a cuckoo, for there's a drop of spirits left from Christmas Eve.' And I expect mother'll give us coffee. I've got the coffee on, answered his wife cheerfully. Did you ever know such a wife? You can never wish for anything but what it's there already. Pelle wondered where his two herding comrades, Alfred and Albinus, were. They were away at their summer places, taking their share of the good Christmas fare, and would not be back before Canute. But this fellow here's not to be despised, said Kalla pointing to the long boy in the turn-up bed. Shall we have a look at him? And, pulling out a straw, he tickled the boy's nose with it. Get up, my good Anton, and harness the horses to the wheelbarrow. We're going to drive out in state. The boy sat up and began to rub his eyes, to Kala's great delight. At last he discovered that there were strangers present, and drew on his clothes, which had been doing duty as his pillow. Pelle and he became good friends at once and began to play, and then Kalle hit upon the idea of letting the other children share in the merrymaking, and he and the two boys went round and tickled them awake, all the six. His wife protested, but only faintly. She was laughing all the time, and herself helped them to dress, while she kept on saying, Oh, what foolishness! Upon my word I never knew the like of it! then this one shan't be left out either," she added suddenly, drawing the youngest out of the alcove. "'Then that's the eight, said Kala, pointing to the flock. "'They fill the room well, don't they? Alma and Alvilda are twins, as you can see, and so are Alfred and Albinus, who are away now for Christmas. They're going to be confirmed next summer, so they'll be off my hands.' "'Then where are the two eldest?' asked Lasse. "'Anna's in service in the North and albert's at sea out with a whaler just now he's a fine fellow he sent us his portrait in the autumn won't you show it us maria his wife began slowly to look for it but could not find it i think i know where it is mother said one of the little girls over and over again but as no one heard what she said she climbed up to the bench and took down an old bible from the shelf the photograph was in it "'He is a fine fellow, and no mistake,' said Lasse. "'There's a pair of shoulders. "'He's not like our family. "'He must be from yours, Maria, that he's got that carriage.' "'He's a Kongstrup, said Kala, in a low tone. "'Oh, indeed is he,' said Lasse hesitatingly, "'recollecting Johanna Peel's story. "'Maria was housemaid at the farm, "'and he talked her over as he has done with so many.' it was before my time and he did what he ought maria was standing looking from one to the other of them with a meaningless smile but her forehead was flushed there's gentle blood in that boy said kalle admiringly he holds his head differently from the others and he's good so tremendously good maria came slowly up to him leaned her arm upon his shoulder and looked at the picture with him he is good "'Isn't he, mother?' said Kala, stroking her face. "'And so well-dressed he is, too,' exclaimed Lasa. "'Yes, he takes care of his money. "'He's not dissipated like his father, "'and he's not afraid of parting with a ten-krona note "'when he's at home here on a visit.' There was a rustling at the inner door, and a little wrinkled old woman crept out onto the threshold, feeling her way with her feet, and holding her hands before her face to protect it. Is any one dead? she asked as she faced the room. Why, there's Grandmother, said Kala. I thought you'd be in your bed. And so I was. But then I heard there were strangers here, and one likes to hear the news. Have there been any deaths in the parish? No, Grandmother, there haven't. People have something better to do than to die. Here's someone come to court you, and that's much better. This is Mother-in-Law he said, turning to the others, so you can guess what she's like. "'Just you come here, and I'll mother-in-law you,' said the old lady, with a feeble attempt to enter into the gaiety. "'Well, welcome to this house, then,' she said, extending her hand. Collis stretched out his first, but as soon as she touched it she pushed it aside, saying, "'Do you think I don't know you, you fool?' She felt Lasa's and Pella's hands for a long time with her long fingers before she let them go. No, I don't know you, she said. It's brother Lasse and his son down from Stone Farm. Kala informed her at last. Ay, is it really? Well, I never. And you've come over the sea, too. Well, here am I, an old body, going about here quite alone, and I've lost my sight, too. "'But you're not quite alone, Grandmother,' said Kala, laughing. "'There are two grown-ups and half a score of children about you all day long.' "'Ah, yes, you can say what you like, but all those I was young with are dead now, and many others that I've seen grow up. Every week someone that I know dies, and here am I still living, only to be a burden to others.' Kala brought in the old lady's armchair from her room and made her sit down, "'What's all that nonsense about?' he said reproachfully. "'Why, you pay for yourself.' "'Pay? Oh, dear! They get twenty kronas a year for keeping me,' said the old woman to the company in general. The coffee came in, and Kala poured brandy into the cups of all the elder people. "'Now, grandmother, you must cheer up,' he said, touching her cup with his. "'Where the pot boils for twelve. It boils for the thirteenth as well. Your health, grandmother, and may you still live many years to be a burden to us, as you call it." "'Yes, I know it so well, I know it so well,' said the old woman, rocking backward and forward. "'You mean so well by it all. But with so little wish to live, it's hard that I should take food out of the others' mouths. The cow eats and the cat eats, the children eat, we all eat.' AND WHERE ARE YOU POOR THINGS TO GET IT ALL FROM? SAY POOR THING TO HIM WHO HAS NO HEAD, AND PITY HIM WHO HAS two, SAID KALA GAILY. HOW MUCH LAND HAVE YOU? ASKED LASA. FIVE ACRES, BUT IT'S MOST OF IT ROCK. CAN YOU MANAGE TO FEED THE COW ON IT THEN? LAST YEAR IT WAS PRETTY BAD. WE HAD TO PULL THE ROOF OFF THE OUTHOUSE AND USE IT FOR FODDER LAST WINTER. AND IT'S THROWN US BACK A LITTLE. "'But dear me, it made the loft all the higher!' Kala laughed. "'And now there'll always be more and more of the children getting able to keep themselves.' "'Don't those who are grown up give a hand, too?' asked Lasse. "'How can they? When you're young, you can use what you've got yourself. "'They must take their pleasures while there's still time. "'They hadn't many while they were children. "'And once they're married and settled, they'll have something else to think about.' Albert is good enough when he's at home on a visit. Last time he gave us ten kronas and a krona to each of the children. But when they're out, you know how the money goes if they don't want to look mean beside their companions. Anna's one of those who can spend all they get on clothes. she's willing enough to do without, but she never has a farthing and hardly a rag to her body for all that she's forever buying. No, she's the strangest creature, said her mother. She never can make anything do. The turn-up bedstead was shut to give room to sit round the table, and an old pack of cards was produced. Everyone was to play except the two smallest, who were really too little to grasp a card. Kala wanted indeed to have them too, but it could not be managed. They played Beggar My Neighbor and Black Peter. Grandmother's cards had to be read out to her. The conversation still went on among the elder people. "'How do you like working for the farmer at Stone Farm?' asked Kala. "'We don't see much of the farmer himself. He's pretty nearly always out, or sleeping after a night on the loose. But he's nice enough in other ways. And it's a house where they feed you properly.' "'Well, there are places where the food's worse,' said Kala. "'But there can't be many. Most of them certainly are better. Are they really?' asked Lasse in surprise. "'Well, I don't complain as far as the food's concerned. "'But there's a little too much for us two to do. "'And then it's so miserable to hear that woman crying nearly the whole time. "'I wonder if he ill-treats her. "'They say not.' "'I'm sure he doesn't,' said Kalla. "'Even if he wanted to, as you can very well understand he might. "'He durstn't. "'He's afraid of her, for she's possessed by a devil, you know.' They say she's a werewolf at night," said Lasse, looking as if he expected to see a ghost in any one of the corners. She's a poor body who has her own troubles," said Maria, and every woman knows a little what that means. And the farmer's not all kindness, either, even if he doesn't beat her. She feels his unfaithfulness more than she'd feel anything else. Oh, you wives always take one another's part, but other people have eyes, too. "'What do you say, grandmother? You know that better than any one else.' "'Well, I know something about it, at any rate,' said the old woman. "'I remember the time when Kongstrup came to the island, as well as if it had been yesterday. He owned nothing more than the clothes he wore, and he was a fine gentleman for all that, and lived in Copenhagen.' "'What did he want over there?' asked Lasse. "'What did he want?' To look for a young girl with money, I suppose. He wandered about on the heath here with his gun, but it wasn't foxes he was after. She was fooling about on the heath, too, admiring the wild scenery and nonsense like that, and behaving half like a man, instead of being kept at home and taught to spin and make porridge. But she was the only daughter, and was allowed to go on just as she liked. And then she meets this spark from the town, and they become friends. He was a curate, or a pope, or something of the sort. So you can't wonder that the silly girl didn't know what she was doing." "'No, indeed,' said Lassa. "'There's always been something all wrong with the women of that family,' the old woman continued. "'They say one of them once gave herself to Satan, and since then he's had a claim upon them and ill-treats them whenever the moon's waning, whether they like it or not. He has no power over the pure, of course.' but when these two had got to know one another, things went wrong with her, too. He must have noticed it, and tried to get off, for they said that the old farmer of Stone Farm compelled him with his gun to take her for his wife. And he was a hard old dog, who'd have shot a man down as soon as look at him. But he was a peasant through and through, who wore home-woven clothes, and wasn't afraid of working from sunrise to sunset. It wasn't like what it is now, with debts and drinking and card-playing. So people had something then. Well, now they'd like to thresh the corn while it's still standing, and they sell the calves before they're born, said Kala. But I say, Grandmother, you're Black Peter. That comes of letting one's tongue run on and forgetting to look after oneself, said the old lady. Grandmother's got to have her face blacked, cried the children. She begged to be let off as she was just washed for the night, but the children blacked a cork in the stove and surrounded her, and she was given a black streak down her nose. Every one laughed, both old and young, and Grandmother laughed with them, saying it was a good thing she could not see it herself. It's an ill wind, she said, that blows nobody any good, but I should like to have my sight again, she went on if it's only for five minutes before I die. It would be nice to see it all once more, now that the trees and everything have grown so, as Kalle says they have. The whole country must have changed, and I've never seen the youngest children at all. They say they can take blindness away over in Copenhagen, said Kalle to his brother. It would cost a lot of money, wouldn't it? asked Lasse. It would cost a hundred kronas at the very least, the grandmother remarked. Kalle looked thoughtful. If I were to sell the whole blooming thing, it would be funny if there wasn't a hundred kronas over. And then grandmother could have her side again. "'Goodness gracious me!' exclaimed the old woman. "'Sell your house and home. You must be out of your mind. Throw away a large capital upon an old worn-out thing like me that has one foot in the grave. I couldn't wish for anything better than what I have.' She had tears in her eyes. Pray God I mayn't bring about such a misfortune in my old age. Oh, rubbish, we're still young, said Kalle. We could very well begin something new, Maria and me. Have none of you heard how Jacob Christian's widow is? asked the old woman, by way of changing the subject. I've got it into my head that she'll go first, and then me. I heard the crow calling over there last night. "'That's our nearest neighbor on the heath,' explained Kalle. "'Is she failing now? "'There's been nothing the matter with her this winter that I know of.' "'Well, you may be sure there's something,' said the old woman positively. "'Let one of the children run over there in the morning.' "'Yes, if you've had warning. Jacob Christian gave good enough warning himself when he went and died. "'But we were good friends for many years, he and me. "'Did he show himself?' asked Lassa solemnly. No, but one night. Nasty October weather it was. I was woke by a knocking at the outside door. That's a good three years ago. Maria heard it too, and we lay and talked about whether I should get up. We got no further than talking, and we were just dropping off again when the knocking began again. I jumped up, put on a pair of trousers, and opened the door a crack, but there was no one there. That's strange, I said to Maria, and got into bed again, but I'd scarcely got the clothes over me when there was a knocking for the third time. I was cross then, and lighted the lantern and went round the house, but there was nothing either to be seen or heard. But in the morning there came word to say that Jacob Christian had died in the night just at that time. Pelle, who had sat and listened to the conversation, pressed close up to his father in fear, but Lasse himself did not look particularly valiant. "'It's not always nice to have anything to do with the dead,' he said. "'Oh, nonsense! If you've done no harm to anyone, and given everybody their due, what can they do to you?' said Kala. The grandmother said nothing, but sat shaking her head very significantly. Maria now placed upon the table a jar of dripping and a large loaf of rye bread. "'That's the goose,' said Kala, merrily sticking his sheath-knife into the loaf. "'We haven't begun it yet. There are prunes inside, and that's goose fat. Help yourselves.' After that Lasse and Pelle had to think about getting home, and began to tie handkerchiefs round their necks, but the others did not want to let them go yet. They went on talking, and Kala made jokes to keep them a little longer. But suddenly he turned as grave as a judge. There was a low sound of crying out in the little passage, and some one took hold of the handle of the door and let go of it again. "'Upon my word, it's ghosts!' he exclaimed, looking fearfully from one to another. The sound of crying was heard again, and Maria, clasping her hands together exclaimed why it's anna and quickly opened the door anna appeared in tears and was attacked on all sides by surprised inquiries to which her sobs were her only answer and you've been given a holiday to come see us at christmas time and you come home crying you are a nice one said Kalle, laughing you must give her something to suck mother i've lost my place The girl at last got out between her sobs. "'No, surely not!' exclaimed Kala in changed tones. "'But what for? Have you been stealing or been impudent?' "'No, but the master accused me of being too thick with his son.' In a flash the mother's eyes darted from the girl's face to her figure, and she too burst into tears. Kala could see nothing, but he caught his wife's action and understood." "'Oh,' he said quietly, "'is that it?' The little man was like a big child, in the way the different expressions came and went upon his good-natured face. At last the smile triumphed again. "'Well, well, that's capital,' he exclaimed, laughing. "'Shouldn't good children take the work off their parents' shoulders as they grow up, and are able to do it? Take off your things, Anna, and sit down. I expect you're hungry, aren't you?' And it couldn't have happened at a better time, as we've got to have the midwife anyhow. Lasse and Pelle drew their neckerchiefs up over their mouths after taking leave of everyone in the room. Kalle circling round them restlessly and talking eagerly. Come again soon, you two, and thanks for this visit and your present, brother Lasse. Oh yes, he said suddenly at the outside door, and laughed delightedly. It'll be something grand brother-in-law to the farmer, in a way. Oh, fie, Kalle Carlson, you and I'll be giving ourselves airs now." And he went a little way along the path with them, talking all the time. Lasse was quite melancholy over it. Pelle knew quite well that what had happened to Anna was looked upon as a great disgrace, and could not understand how Uncle Kalle could seem so happy. Ah, yes, said Lasse, as they stumbled along among the stones. Call is just like what he always was. He laughs where others would cry. It was too dark to go across the fields, so they took the quarry road south to get down to the high road. At the crossroads, the fourth arm of which led down to the village, stood the country shop, which was also a hedge alehouse. As they approached the alehouse they heard a great noise inside. Then the door burst open, and some men poured out rolling the figure of a man before them on the ground. "'The police have taken them by surprise,' said Lasse, and drew the boy with him out into the ploughed field, so as to get past without being seen. But at that moment someone placed a lamp in the window, and they were discovered. "'There's the stone-farm herdsman,' said a voice. Hi, Lasse, come here.' They went up and saw a man lying face downward on the ground kicking. His hands were tied behind his back, and he could not keep his face out of the mud. "'Why, it's Per Olsen,' exclaimed Lasse. "'Yes, of course,' said the shopkeeper. "'Can't you take him home with you? He's not in his right head.' Lasse looked hesitatingly at the boy, and then back again. "'A raving man,' he said. "'We two can't alone.' "'Oh, his hands are tied.' "'You've only got to hold the end of the rope, and he'll go along quietly with you,' said one of the men. They were quarrymen from the stone quarry. "'You'll go with them quietly, won't you?' he asked, giving the man a kick in the side with the toe of his wooden shoe. "'Oh, dear, oh, dear,' groaned Per Olsen. "'What's he done?' asked Lasse. "'And why have you ill-used him so?' We had to thrash him a little because he was going to chop off one of his thumbs. He tried it several times, the beast, and got it half off, and we had to beat him to make him stop. And they showed loss of the man's thumb, which was bleeding. Such an animal to begin cutting and hacking at himself, because he's drunk half a pint of gin. If he wanted to fight, there were men enough here without that. It must be tied up or he'll bleed to death, poor fellow," said Lasse, slowly drawing out his red pocket handkerchief. It was his best handkerchief, and it had just been washed. The shopkeeper came with a bottle and poured spirit over the thumb, so that the cold should not get into it. The wounded man screamed, and beat his face upon the ground. "'Won't one of you come with us?' asked Lasse. But no one answered. They wanted to have nothing to do with it, in case it should come to the ears of the magistrate. Well, then, we too must do it, with God's help," he said, in a trembling voice, turning to Pele. But you can help him up at any rate, as you knocked him down. They lifted him up. His face was bruised and bleeding. In their eagerness to save his finger, they had handled him so roughly that he could scarcely stand. "'It's Lasse and Pelle," said the old man, trying to wipe his face. "'You know us, don't you, Per Olsen? "'We'll go home with you if you'll be good and not hurt us. "'We mean well by you, we too.' Per Olsen stood and ground his teeth, trembling all over his body. "'Oh, dear, oh, dear,' was all he said. There was white foam at the corners of his mouth. Lasse gave Pelle the end of the rope to hold. "'He's grinding his teeth. The devil's busy with him already,' he whispered. "'But if he tries to do any harm, you just pull with all your might at the rope. And if the worst comes to the worst, we must jump over the ditch.' They now set off homeward, Lasse holding Per Olsen under the arm, for he staggered and would have fallen at almost every step. He kept on, murmuring to himself or grinding his teeth. Pelle trudged behind, holding the rope. Cold shivers ran down his back, partly from fear, partly from secret satisfaction. He had now seen someone whom he knew to be doomed to perdition. So those who became devils in the next world looked like Per Olsen. But he wasn't unkind. He was the nicest of the farm men to Pele and he had bought that bottle for them, yes, and had advanced the money out of his own pocket until May Day. End of chapter 7